Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. Chris, I'm so glad to have you here with me from Amsterdam. Welcome to my podcast, Chris Baldwin. Hi, Vesna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Chris, we met, I think, a year ago now uh, in Tallinn, and we were both at this uh, speaking academy uh, where we had a fantastic experience, but also, I think, a tough experience. It was really an interesting, uh, a bit transformative, actually, experience that we had together. And then we, I'm happy that we kept in touch for, for a year now. I will just give a little short intro of you, Chris, to the people who don't know you yet. Chris Baldwin is a world citizen who started his life on a tropical island. Uh, he's a serial entrepreneur who has learned many lessons in business life. He has a PhD in medicine and co-developed a new HIV vaccine. And his life is an intriguing mix of tough and joyful circumstances. And what makes Chris happy is really bringing the best out of people. To start with, you're a world citizen. I know that you have four nationalities. Tell us a little bit more about that, please. Yeah, so it's a little tropical island in the Pacific called Vanuatu. It was a French colony, so it used to be called New Hebrides. And so when I was born there, I was actually born French and then naturalized Australian after one month because my father's Australian. My mum is French, so I, was also, I also inherited the French nationality. And then in 2000, I came over to the Netherlands. And in 2004, I was also able to become Dutch. So that gives me three official nationalities and one I can claim, which is actually called Nibanoatuan. I could claim that one if I wanted to because I was born there. So that, that's where I got the four nationalities from. Very special uh, start. I mean, that's really exotic to start your life in a place like that. Yeah, pretty amazing place. It's a tiny little island. Typical, you know, banana republic, there's no tax and you spend your days, you know, swimming on the coral reef, eating bananas and mangoes and just the tropical island life. And I, I was there until I was 13. What was it like in terms of just growing up the first couple of years, uh, school, friends, all the normal stuff that we have? So it's uh, quite a, an intriguing um, place because there, there are a lot of cyclones in the summer. So the island generally gets wrecked completely. Um, so I almost lost my life in one of those cyclones called Cyclone Uma in 1988, where my dad uh, rescued me from, from sure death. I mean, it was 250-kilometer winds. Uh, that thousands and thousands of people died and were just blown out to sea. But on the other extreme, it's a life of disconnection. You know, it's, there's no technology there, or at least not when I was there. You know, my first computer was in 1985, and it was still a tiny little uh, black and green screen. This is pre-internet days. I think you just connect very well to the moment and to the things around you when you're on an island. You know, nothing really matters. What matters is what's going on in the moment, you know, and that's nature, and it's slowing down. And uh, I think that's a great way for, for a child to grow up on a tropical island, it gives you a lot of contrast with how things are these days in, in cities. But how come your dad was, was there, actually? So he was uh, chief pilot for 26 years. So he was an airline pilot, and he was there basically because he liked adventure, I think. And my mum was there because, well, my mum's my side comes, my mum was born on the Ivoire coast, so Ivory Coast, and they grew up in Madagascar with my grandparents. And they were adventurers as well. So they traveled the world in a boat and came to Vanuatu because it was French at the time and they're French. And, and that's how my mom um, met my dad. You know, she was a nurse at the hospital and my dad was quite the player, quite the charismatic person. And, he, you know, he told me a story once that he, you know, basically he had a bet with his mate and um, he really wanted to meet my mom. So he faked being sick. So he, he got admitted to the hospital ward so he could meet her. <laughs> wow, Chris, you have an adventurous lifestyle from the beginning until even today. Now I see the adventurous part of you, where it comes from. 
Yeah, you got to realize as well, you know, not everything is as it seems, you know, from the outside, like from the inside. I can tell you that, you know, when I was four, my oldest memory, my second oldest memory is on my fifth birthday when uh, my dad, because he was chief pilot, he basically got all the kids of the island onto one little island and he flew over and dropped lollies all over the island. That was my birthday. There were hundreds of children. It was the only birthday I ever I ever had really. It was the only birthday I ever I ever celebrated. I never celebrated a birthday after that. Not truly celebrated a birthday. And that's because my oldest memory is actually me under the kitchen table at four years old. My dad's on one side with a kitchen knife. My mum's on the other side with my only full sister who was eight months in the belly. And my dad was trying to kill my mum. And that's actually my oldest memory. And so they were both alcoholics. And so it's not always what it seems, you know, on the one side, I'm, I, I'm very fortunate to have lived that lifestyle and I don't regret anything. But I think the contrast in life is what gave me a lot of life lessons, a lot of experience, you know, the contrast between living up in a family that was torn apart by alcohol and drugs and on the other side, having this rich and, and full life of tropical islands to I don't know how many countries I've lived in. I mean, Vanuatu is only one of the islands. I've lived in New Caledonia, in Fiji, Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, Marshall Islands. You know, I've lived on many of the different islands and Australia, of course, and France and, and now the Netherlands. I think life is just about an adventure and it's just about staying curious and just looking at, at what the diversity that life has to offer. Amazing, Chris. But uh, I guess we'll, part of it will go back to when we talk about some transformational points in your life and so on. But what about the thing that we all, you know, look for throughout life that I would call like clarity or like everybody's trying to look for their own like blueprint so that we can be one with that blueprint and, and in fact be ourselves. How do you get to that point? And, and once you do get there, what do you do with it? You know, it's funny, like, your last question, your eighth question, is what does the world need more of? What do people need the most in this world? And my answer is actually clarity. It's funny you bring that up now, and I know, I know as a fact, Yash Savon, who was interviewed here earlier on your podcast, he's a good friend of mine. We both know him. We know him from the Speaking Academy in Talent. He visited Amsterdam last week. And I spent two days with him, incredible person. And he asked me this exact same question, you know, what does the world need more of? I looked him in the eyes and I said, clarity. And in that moment, you could see like something just lit up because that's exactly what he said on your podcast. I haven't heard it yet. And now you're saying it. It's like, yeah, I think the world is a noisy place. And the noisier it gets, and technology makes it noisy because we're hyper-connected. There's information flowing everywhere, and, and we're, we're fully empowered to connect and consume information, make decisions, and, and technology will solve for anything in the end if you let it. The more important questions are is what should it be solving for? And I think clarity is something that people are going to seek more and more, clarity of thought, clarity of, of thought so that they can make decisions, the right decisions, the faster decisions. That's amazing that we, um, yeah, you're, you're starting with that on the podcast. When we try to help people, we tend to try and give them experiences, give them information that we think might help them. And funny enough is that that process actually brings in less clarity because now you're exposed to new information and everyone wants to share and everyone has the right intent. They want to help you. But it starts to become confusing because they're just overloading you with information. And the approach I take often is that I try to say less and I try to help people question why they think what they think. Like, why should something be true? And, and try to actually remove things from their mind, remove concepts and give them clarity. Because once you have clarity, then you can start to ask the really important questions and the really powerful questions. Is, and one of them is, what do I want? What do I want? Like that, that is a, one of the most hardest questions to answer. It's so simple when you're a child. It's so simple. The, the younger you are, the easier it is. A child, when they're born, they know exactly what they want. It's very clear. I want milk. I want attention. I want someone to care for me. I want love. I want warmth. 
It's very clear what they want. And as we grow up, we start to realize the bounties that life has to offer. And we start to want more and more and more. And in that complexity, we start to forget or we start to lose our ability to really focus in on what is it truly that we want. So the older we get, the more elusive that question becomes. And the key to answering it is actually to want less and to want the right things. That's at the core of anything to do with, you know, your why, your mission, your purpose. What is the one thing that should be synonymous with you? What is the one thing that people should remember when they hear your name long after you're gone? That's linked to that question is what do I want? And what about you then? In, and if we just use you as an example here, and then uh, how would you respond if somebody asks you, what's your purpose and what is really important to you? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think this is a question we all try to answer. And we all try to give reasons as to, you know, why, why we should believe the answer is true. So I spent the first 40 years of my life making it all about me. And that's what most of us do, you know, it's self-actualization. It's becoming the best version of yourself. And because of my tough childhood, I had to develop a thick skin. And so it became really about, it's me against the world. And I had to, it was a defense mechanism and many of us have it and probably all of us have it. But then when you start to realize that it's not about you at all and no one's really thinking about you at all, you start to understand that it's actually, it's not who you are is not important. It's important to you, but it's not important to other people. What's important to other people is what you do. And, and the most beautiful gift you can give them is actually to be yourself because that's what everybody respects. Everybody respects someone who has the courage and the tenacity to be themselves in this world of expectations and influence. So being yourself, the gift you can bring to the world and, and doing the things that help others be themselves. And that's at the core of my mission. That's something I realized only after I passed my 40s. So the second half of my life is actually making it all about them. You know, I see life like a 400-meter race. You, you start out of the blocks, you get to the 200-meter mark, it hurts like hell, and then you have halfway to go. And, you know, I was a, a sportsman for 20 years, so I understand pain and lactic acid and, and thresholds, and, and I see that as a good metaphor for life, you know. When you get into the middle, it hurts like hell, and where you make it easier is to have less expectations on yourself and to lower your expectations and to be happy with the things that you have and to try and find more in less. That's very important. And in a way, you could say that's very easy. You know, why don't put so much, uh, so many expectations on yourself. But at the same time, everything we have around us, right? The environment, the people, the social media, everything is putting some kind of pressure on us anyway. So you really need to have great discipline and remind yourself of this all the time in order to make it work. That's why it comes back to that one word, clarity. You know, the more connected you become, the more noisy the world becomes, the more information flows through your mind and you have to try and make sense of it. My iPhone screen, for example, it's only ever half full. The top half are apps. That's a busy part of my life. That's how I actualize. That's how I get things done. That's how I connect. And the bottom half of the app is completely empty. It's the stars. It's the cosmos. Because I believe that the really most beautiful questions aren't found in busyness, in business, busyness. They're found in silence. They're found by reconnecting with yourself and really working on your perspective on the world. And perspective it, it leads to meaning. And, and this is influenced by the information that reaches you. You know, nothing we do is unique. Nothing we do, we don't make anything up. We just bring a perspective to the world, and that perspective gives us meaning. Information that rises to us and information through what we do and our experiences gives us meaning, and that's acquired by doing, not by searching. It's acquired by doing. There was the most beautiful book in the world. is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. That's one of the most beautiful books that you will ever read. A very, very tragic story, but it has a very, very powerful message, and that is... Stop searching for meaning and start doing, and meaning will come to you. And most people are just thinking about things. They're thinking about it, and they're not actually doing the things that are going to help them get what they want because most of us can't answer that question. Mm. And, and 
Today, there's a lot of discussions and focus on entrepreneurs, and, and, and you are one of those. And in general, entrepreneurship and success, like very linked. What does that mean to you? And, and this kind of intrinsic, extrinsic perspectives. So entrepreneurship, I'm on my 11th business, second institute. They've all failed in some way. I did manage to retire at 37 with, with many millions, but it didn't mean success at all. It just meant, you know, another milestone along the journey. You know, I see success twofold. And you said it, intrinsic, extrinsic. There's intrinsic success. What's really the definition of success for you as an individual? Center of the universe, because that's the universe revolves around us. It revolves around our mind. And what in the extrinsic? I believe that the intrinsic is about freedom of choice. It's not about freedom at all, because freedom really uh, suggests that nobody needs you and you don't need anyone. Life isn't, wasn't never meant to be easy. Life is, uh, you always have to deal with, you're always part of other people's stories. You're always part of other people's experiences. And so freedom of choice, it's, I want to be able to choose what I do with my time, with my money, with my resources, with my attention. And for me personally, it's more about being happy with less. That's my meter for intrinsic success, being happy with less, getting more out of less. So not, not necessarily minim, minimalistic lifestyle, but an effective lifestyle. You know, something where I'm not over-consuming on things. I'm just getting enough. This world is all about consuming. It's all about more is better. And more isn't better. Better is better. Is there anything for you that could be more of that would be better? Yeah. Authenticity, being yourself, connecting with people in a meaningful way. And that's being challenged with technology now. It's hyper-connecting us. I think, you know, we, we talked about earlier, clarity of thought. You know, the ability to make decisions because you have clarity on what you want and on the information that you have, the information that, that you need. So the more this more is better mentality assumes that more information is better. You know, we, we keep educating ourselves. We keep learning. We keep reading. We keep listening. You know, I read a book a day for three and a half years. I went through a thousand books only to realize that information means nothing unless you apply it, unless you do something with it. That, that was a lesson I learned from reading, a th well, listening to a thousand books because I'm completely dyslectic, so I can't read at all. So I got a PhD without being able to read. I was made fun of as a kid because I couldn't read and I never could read. I read one book and I read it 50 times, and that is The Hobbit. And then when I turned 40, I decided to read more books, but I couldn't read, so I listened to them. And, and I just came to this one last conclusion is that, you know, information means nothing unless you apply it. I stopped that book journey. The week that I did the academy with Eric Edmonds and you, I stopped reading and I started doing. And just going back to the question about entrepreneurship and success, what was the extrinsic kind of perspective that you wanted to share? I think life is all about making the people around you better, the people around you more successful. Nobody cares about you. Everybody cares about themselves. The key question is what's in it for me? And we're all in it, what's in it for me? If we all do that, then everyone's disconnected. But if everyone just flips that around, you know, the success to anything is being willing to do what other people aren't willing to do, you know, and often that's just doing the opposite. You know, if everyone's trying to feed themselves and, 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 and actualize themselves, and if you flip that around, all of a sudden you have what other people want. And that's someone that cares. It's someone that listens. And what happens is that when you become that person, well, what do they want? And you, you become that person that makes them more successful, that gives them energy and inspires them. Well, they want more of you. So the demand for you increases and that makes you happy. And it gives you more meaning and more purpose. So just flip it around, make it all about them. And that's what I realized after reading those thousand books, just make it about them. And then they'll want more of you. And that, that's the extrinsic success, is making other people successful. Success is found through the success of others. That's how people judge you. How successful are you making me? And that can be in family, it's your kids, it's your colleagues, it's your clients, it's your customers, it's your partners, it's anyone that's in connection with you. And it's found 
there's another one. There's another key because we, you know, we talk about, we just talk about it like intrinsic success, extrinsic success, but how do you actually find it? How do you manifest it? Well, it's really simple. You manifest it through action. You manifest it through doing stuff. You know, the universe rewards action. Without action, there's only thought. There's only unreachable dreams. Since um, some time now, you have been up on stage speaking. Why? And, and uh, what have you learned from this experience? And, and in general speaking, what do you think, actually? What is it for and who is it for? So speaking's a, a funny business. You know, it's like who in their right mind would want to get up on a stage with thousands of people looking at them, listening to to whatever they have to share, whatever they have, have to say. It's it starts as a place of it's a very uncomfortable place. It's like everyone's listening. It's a place of leadership. It's a place where you can you can inspire. It's a place where you can change. I believe that change is created through stories, the stories that I bring to the world, the stories that anyone experiences throughout their lives, and, and then trying to make points with those stories so people have something to act upon. And um, what got me into speaking? I don't know. I mean, we speak every day. Every time we open our mouths, we speak. We were all speakers, and we've always been speaking. The moment we learned language, we started speaking. It's just where are we delivering that speech from? And we do it every day around the table when we're walking, and it just happens to be from a from a stage. But the beauty about the stage is that you have focused attention. The one thing that we seek in life is attention. In the beginning, any attention is good attention. But as we get older, we become selective in that attention. Attention and, and information that comes to us through that attention that helps us be better. And the stage. In this hyper-connected world, they even call it an attention economy. Why did Facebook buy WhatsApp? It doesn't make any money. It still doesn't make any money. They can't even now, with regulation, uh, use the data to try and improve advertising on Facebook. It's because the attention was there. We're in an attention economy, but in a digital ecosystem, we're hyper-connected. And so attention is fragmented. And what we seek is focused attention. And when it's when it's fragmented, we need to when you're talking about clarity of thought, it makes it a busy world because now we have to try and link up pieces of information to try and create stories, which is the only thing we connect with really is stories. Like what's your story and how should I remember you and how do I want to be remembered? And so what the stage offers is focused attention. Now I have hundreds or thousands of people all looking at, looking and listening. And if I can tell a story that's compelling, that holds their attention, then I have a way to get into their minds and to give them information that's going to make them better at a point in the future. That's why I'm speaking. That's why I'm getting up on the podium. But it's a very uncomfortable place. So I don't, I'm not sure if you said it early in this interview, but you know, my goal is to get off stage because when I'm on stage, you're not. And so all I want to do is inspire other people as to what's possible when you're on stage, what's possible with this medium. Eric Edney calls it the stage effect this power of attraction that you have. It's a leadership role and people are attracted to you. And, and this is a, a role of great responsibility, but it's also a role of great influence. You are able to influence people for the better. And, um, but it requires you yeah, becoming the best version of you. You know, I've developed seven mindsets as a speaker. And one, the last one, it really is about becoming the best version of you. I call it, and, and it comes from Eric Edmeets. He says, you know, be so good they can't ignore you. That's how you get invited back to speak again. And that's how audiences seek you out by your book or to get more advice from you or whatever that may be, whatever your strategic objectives may be. Be so good they can't ignore you. The seventh mindset I have, it's my decision-making framework. And that's really about becoming the best version of you. It's really about stepping up and taking on the challenge of life. And life just wants me to be the, just wants you to be the best version of you. That's all we need to do. And for that, you must, yeah, step out of your comfort zone. At the core, it's called to adventure. At the core, that's what it is. It's calling you to an adventure. And I think if you, if you ask me, you know, what, what's my passion, which was um, one of the questions in this podcast, what's my passion? Well, before I could answer that, I'm thinking, I like everything. I'm a very curious person. Yeah, but 
I tried to define what passion is. And I just wrote it down like minutes before this interview. I went, so I wrote down, you know, what would I do for free and want nothing in return? What would stop me from eating? What would stop me from sleeping? What would make me forget everything I know, everything in the world, and just focus in on the moment with the things around me? It would be adventure. Adventure. And what is life? Life's just an adventure. And how to to embark on an adventure? Well, at the core, it's about being curious. It's about being curious to discover. Yeah. And, and even if you have, uh, you know, fear or anxiety as a companion, I mean, just leave it be there, right? I mean, it can travel with you. So because oftentimes, right, the excuse we all have for not doing the things that are we, we, we feel are maybe a, the real adventure is really that we are fearful. Fear is one of the biggest drivers of behavior. But you know, the crazy thing is about fear is that we fear what we want and we fear what we don't know. It's that simple. We fear what we want and we fear what we don't know because what if we want something and we don't get it? Or what if we try something and we just don't know? Like, for example, why do you think a boogeyman in the dark is what we fear in movies? Because we don't get to see the boogeyman. Why was Jaws so scary? It's because we didn't get to see the shark until the last moment when he was about to bite you. You know, why don't we fear jumping out of a, a commercial plane? Because that's not what we want. But try to skydive. And you really want that experience, you want to dive out of that plane, well, you're going to be really, really scared because what if something goes wrong? And what is an adventure? Well, it's things we don't know. That's why we go on an adventure. We're curious to find out what's out there. And life's an adventure and we all want to live. So we all want to go on this adventure. It's the thing that we want. So we fear what we don't know. We fear what we want. And that is at the core of adventure. And that is at the core of life. So it's about facing your fears. It's about facing them and dealing with them, not trying to push them away. It's about embracing them. You know, Seth Godin says it really well. It's about dancing with fear, just like around a campfire. I, I think I use this metaphor in one of my keynotes, um, one of my very first opening keynotes, dancing with fire. That was from Seth Godin, but actually um, I was actually teaching this in a speaker training, and um, it's like a campfire. You know, if you get too close, it will burn you up. But if you get too far away from it, it will die down into ashes. You need to dance with the fire in order for it to blossom. And uh, so I see that as a, as a great metaphor for, for dealing with the fears in your life, which are abundant and everywhere. And they're fueled by the things you don't know and the things that you want. And uh, what I specifically like very much about this, um, one of the most powerful ways of communicating through stories is is really the fact that you remind yourself of the fact that all your life is a series of different stories, micro stories. And if you connect some of those, they really become a story with a message, with a learning, with an experience, whatever it might be. But it also reminds me, reminds me of the fact that in order to have stories to tell that are important to me and to others, I need also to live an interesting life, right? Not that I'm the writer, but I'm a part of it. So it gives you a very, very fresh and good perspective on life, actually, thinking that way. Absolutely. So it's funny you should say that. And I don't know if you even know this. The fifth mindset that I developed as a speaker, I have seven. I've told you the seventh one. Be so good they can't ignore you. My fifth mindset is live an interesting life. Because it's through an interesting life you collect interesting stories. And people connect with stories because stories is what gives rise to emotions, to feelings. You know, If you want someone to feel a certain way, simply identify a story, share that story that makes you feel that way and the other person will feel the same way. People feel what you feel. So as a speaker, that's my fifth mindset, live an interesting life. Collect stories and through those stories, inspire change. Get people to act in a different way that's going to make them more successful. Fantastic. And and just um, a couple of weeks ago, when I was in Stockholm, I met up with Simon Sinek. And he's a master storyteller as well. I mean, he's really, as you keep reminding me, it's not about telling stories, but it's like show stories. He's really sharing stories with a strong, strong built-in messages. That's one of his, I think, main tools to have that influence and impact on people and businesses out there. Yeah. One of the other keys 
is not speak to the audience, but speak with the audience. So you need to relate. You need to build rapport. You need to relate. And when you relate, people connect with you because these stories that you've experienced in your life, everyone's experienced very similar stories. And when you tell a story about your own personal experiences, I can bet you that just about everybody in the room that's lived will identify themselves in those stories. And for them, it might be a little bit different. You know, we are the actor and the director of our lives, but we're not the writer. We can't write these stories out because other people share in our stories and other people influence the way we act and behave. The only thing we have control over this is the choices we make when we interact with others and how do we want that story to play out. And as a speaker, it can get quite tiring sometimes and, and you know, the people around you that you love can get quite frustrated with this sometimes because all I'm doing is living a life I can share later at a later point from the stage, from a YouTube video, from a conversation. I'm basically controlling the outcomes of the stories, trying to influence them at least, not control them, but influence them. So how do I want this story to end? And I simply make decisions based on how am I acting and how am I directing this play? You know, life's a stage. That was Hamlet, right? Life's a stage. You are the actor and the director, but never the writer. There are other people on that stage also acting and directing their lives. <laughs> yeah, that's the big question. Do we direct it or we need to remind ourselves of doing it at least? Vesna, it takes courage. It takes courage to say no. It takes courage to say yes. And so at the core of it is having the courage. At the core of it is knowing what you want, right? You need to know what you want. And that is where most people go wrong. They, they want too many things. So they don't know what is that one thing or what is those few things. You know, do I want to be happy? Do I want to be successful? You need to define these things. And how do you get it in a place where people don't want you to change? Because you know what? I found the people that love you the most are the people that want you to be just the way you are. It's not, it doesn't apply to everybody. There are some people that have people around them that are really pushing them to become better versions of yourself. But generally, the people that love you, love you just the way you are. And they don't want you to change. So it's about having the courage to step up and being able to say no and being able to say yes and being able to communicate why you need to do these things, not just for yourself, but also for them. And that requires a voice. It requires effective communication. And that is, I believe that effective communication is at the foundation of all growth, success, and happiness in life. The ability to communicate with other things, other human beings, other brands. And that's why I'm into speaking now. And that is at the core, you know, why we did the Academy a year ago developing a voice and being able to communicate effectively and influence our environment. You know, as a biologist, I know a lot about that, a lot about ecosystems. And in order to get what you want out of an ecosystem, you need to be able to, to flourish in that ecosystem. You need to be able to be symbiotic with everything around you, add value to it and get value from it. And because we're very much a communication species, we communicate with each other, whether it be verbal, nonverbal, written, whatever. We influence things through communication. And so communication is at the foundation of everything you want to get in life comes down to effective communication. And, and oftentimes companies, people, entrepreneurs, inventors, everybody that uh, I'm sure both of us have met over time, they're so you know, in love with an idea and a product or a thing that they're developing and so on and put all effort, right, or energy into that. And then when it comes to, okay, how is this going to go out to this world? How is it going to be presented, communicated, uh, and so on? Then that's like a secondary or third thing that they don't even bother about, right? And that's where very often they fail because of it. Yeah, yeah. I've run many hackathons and some people have the most craziest and the most wonderful ideas and they'll build the most incredible prototypes. And you think, oh, my God, here's something that can truly change the world or make the world better. And then they can't pitch it. They can't communicate it properly. The judges don't vote them in because they don't understand what they're trying to build. They don't understand the greater vision and the greater mission of what this thing is meant to achieve. That just breaks my heart. And that, that is one of the reasons why I've become a speaker trainer, pitch trainer, to try and really help people communicate their ideas. And, you know, you need to communicate your idea. If you look at the formula for an innovation, my formula for innovation, and innovation is about making things better, is ideas plus execution equals impact. 
And we all have ideas. You know, we have them a dime a dozen in the shower, on the plane, at the gym, while we're running. They're all ideas, but they mean nothing unless you act on them. This thing of action, you know, success is acquired through doing stuff, through acting. And unless you can, with a prototype, like if you're in an organization and you're trying to get your idea across, you say this could be the biggest innovation we bring out this year, or it could transform the company, it could reinvent us. But unless you're able to communicate that effectively to the stakeholders that need to be supporting this, because you need funding, you need stakeholder buy-in, you need resources, unless you can do that, then it has no chance. So I think communication from an idea, prototype, to something that's actually going to make it and gain momentum, the bridge is an effective communication strategy. Stories inspire change. And you need to tell the story behind the prototype, the story behind the product, because people connect with stories. That's how you create emotional connection, by getting people to feel the way you feel when you're sharing this story. One of your questions in your podcast is, what does an organization need the most of? If there was one thing that I would recommend to them, it would be have a story. Have a story. People connect with stories. It's stories that connect people, and it's stories they remember. And it's through stories that you inspire change. It's as simple as that. And most organizations may have a story, don't have a story, have a strong story, but aren't able to communicate it. And because we're in a hyper-connected digital ecosystem now where communicating a story is becoming harder and harder because it's fragmented. Attention is fragmented. How do I communicate? You know, we're both marketers. How do I communicate my story effectively when people, when I only have eight seconds of attention? And that's the beauty of speaking, is that when you're on the stage, if you can tell a story well, you have half an hour of a fully focused attention or one hour of fully focused attention. None of this eight second stuff for millennials. No, no, no. When you can tell an effective story from the stage, you have them nailed down and they will lose their sense of time for 30 minutes, for one hour, for two hours. I've had two hour presentations where people have gone, how long was that? It felt like two minutes. I just had them in a complete trance. And that is the power of the stage. Yeah, exactly, this kind of stage effect. But what, what about, um, I'm just thinking, when I was in a situation uh, with, a, with an entrepreneur and uh, he had a great story and he had his why and everything, all the ingredients were there, but he was not interested in getting out, speaking up and talking, telling his story. And at the end, when we were discussing this, at the end I understood that what lied behind this was really a profound fear of rejection, but it was kind of hidden to him as well. So this was something we discovered together. I was really the fear of being rejected because if I get out there and tell my story and if I get out there and tell who I am and what I want and everything, what if they don't understand me or what if I get rejected or I don't get the response I'm hoping for? And that was the reason he was un unable to speak up and really tell the story that he already had inside of him. Okay. I'm glad you, you touched on this topic. And okay, what I'm going to say now is going to be like for anyone listening, like this is what transformed me like at the core. This is the one thing, like there's a question in your podcast, Esna, you know, what would you tell yourself 15 years ago? You know, when I read uh, 15 years ago, I was 29. I'm about to turn 45 now. I could have told this to myself at seven years old, preferentially, but it's something that's been a big burden on my life. And it's really... It's really don't worry about what other people think because I can tell you they're not thinking of you. Everyone's thinking about themselves. What's in it for me? Uh, I use this in all of my keynotes. It's the 1840-60 rule. I got it from Jack Canfield from the Success Principles, and I've been using it ever since, and it's a great – everyone laughs on this joke at the end, and it, it relaxes people, and it makes a very powerful point. You know, At 18 years old, all we care about is what other people think of us self-image. When we get into our 40s, we don't give a damn what anybody thinks of us. And when we start, when we turn 60, we realize nobody's been thinking about us at all. I haven't turned 60 yet, so I don't know. But this is what Jack Canfield says. And I think, I think he's onto something. I think that people really aren't thinking about you. And you know what? In the odd chance that they're actually genuinely 
thinking about you, well, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Isn't that what we want anyway? Like for people to actually think about us? So we spend so much time and energy worrying about what other people think of us. And this slows us down. It stops us from doing things. What are they going to think? What's all this judgment? And what if you actually spent that time and that energy figuring out what you want and doing the things that are going to help you get what you want? Imagine just this simple, I know it's just words and I know it's just quick and just this simple idea could transform your life completely. And that's exactly what it did to me. When I started to become a speaker, I don't care, literally don't care what other people think, but I care very, very deeply as to why they think those things, because that gives me feedback and that feedback helps me to improve. And that's how I've been able to iterate and grow so quickly as a speaker. I only started speaking last August. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And you you voted number one uh, speaker in Holland, and uh, right? Fastest growing speaker last year after three months of speaking. And all I got into my head, because everything in life is a lie until you choose to believe it. All I got into my head was I just reprogrammed myself. You know that video that Eric showed us, like, stop it? Like, stop it? Like, you know, if I was to say, don't worry about what other people think, you'll go, yeah, but, 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 just stop it. Just don't worry about it because they're not thinking about you. What are you some sort of, what type of ego do you have that you think that everyone's thinking about you? Like they're not, they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about what's in it for me. So just switch it around. We, we covered this early in the podcast, switch it around, make it all about them. You make it all about them and they're going to want to be thinking about you. And then you're going to have a whole heap of people thinking about you but they're going to be thinking about you for the right reasons because now you're creating demand for your company, for your product, for your service, for your own ideas and own thoughts. Chris, if you would assume that you have all doors open to you and all resources available, what would you immediately rush to innovate or to change? So it's very simple. It's, uh, my mission is pretty clear. There's a lot of things I can do to achieve that mission. There's a lot of people I can work with to achieve that mission, but it's pretty clear. And I've even quantified it. Enable at least 1 million people on this planet to be themselves. That's my mission statement. It's about true personal liberty. It's about really allowing you to be you, which is what I discovered. And it's very liberating. It, it, I mean, it's, it's just an incredible thing. It's at the core of everything, developing courage, developing confidence, developing self-esteem, really being yourself and doing you, which is what earns respect and earns trust because now people are connecting with you and not some shell of you that you're trying to hide behind. This is why I'm working with Eric. This is why we connected with him so well because he shares in this mission as well. It's about personal liberty. That's what he's all about. And, and how do you do that? Well, we're a communicative species. We, we communicate with each other. You know, we have social constructs, we have beliefs, we have values. You know, we don't agree with each other. And communication is at the foundation of personal liberty. If you are able to communicate effectively in a powerful way, influence your surroundings in a way that's going to make you happy and going to make them happy, that's the road to personal liberty and, and to just being yourself. And so if I had unlimited resources, unlimited time, and, and I'm doing it now with minimal resources, minimal time, and no money, I'm doing it now. I don't need unlimited resources. I don't need unlimited time. I don't need unlimited money. I actually need nothing of that. All I need is a mission and some action. And of course, linking to clarity so that I have clarity of thought and I'm able to decide quickly and move forward. And this uh, sense of uh, freedom, I think it's very, very powerful. And, and I, I remember myself also just recently, I was going to do something that was absolutely, you know, outside of my comfort zone and so on. And I, and I was just thinking to myself, as if I was a dialoguing with myself and I'm saying, Vesna, come on. I mean, it's just do it. I mean, what is, what is the big thing that can happen? Like I was almost telling myself, like, I'm just sick and tired of you being worried and anxious about things. Just do it. Like when in life should you, could you do this? If not now, what are you waiting for? <laughs> I know why you're hesitant and it applies to everybody on this planet. And I, I found a solution for this. It's a hack, but it's not, I don't know if it's, it'll work for other people. It certainly worked for me. The thing is, Vesna, is that our time 
is our most valuable asset. It runs out for all of us. It ticks away. We all share one fate and that one day we're going to die. And so time is a very scarce asset and we waste it every day, which is crazy. And what technology does, it helps us use our time more effectively. Most of these apps that we have on our phone simply gets, allows us to do things quicker and more effectively and saves us time. And remember that one question that nobody can answer, especially the older you get, is what I want. Now, the Nike slogan is just do it. Just do it. But to do something requires to making a choice. And every single choice has a trade-off. And you asked me this question. You asked me this question on Facebook once. I said every choice has a trade-off. So what trade-off are you willing to make? And you asked me the question. So, Chris, what trade-off did you make? And I didn't answer you, did I? No. <laughs> I didn't answer you. I still know this. I didn't answer you. And I didn't want to put it up on Facebook. And I'm not sure if I'm even willing to share it at this point because I'm still in the middle of it. But I, I may share it later on in this, in this sentence. But basically just do it assumes you know what you want because there's a trade-off to every choice. So if you have three kids at home and a wife or a husband that love you very much and that need your attention, need your time, when you go out and just do it, well, you better damn make sure it's the right thing because you're taking that time and that attention away from your kids and your family. And so it better be right. And if you don't know what you want, then you're going to keep being hesitant about it. You're going to keep going, what if it's not what I want? What if I go down the wrong path and now I'm going to be wasting my time? But more importantly, I'm going to be wasting the time I can have with my kids and my family. So it better be the right thing. So what I did, instead of just do it, I said, just try it. You don't have to do this forever. Just try it. And that requires a mentality of simply being curious, like throwing pasta up against the wall and seeing what sticks. And if it works, do a little bit more of that. And that's all I did. So I started speaking and it started working. And so I did a little bit more of it. And then people asked me again and again. So I went up and did a bit more of it. And, and then eventually I developed some enough practice to become quite good at it. And then I started to realize only then the impact that speaking could have. I didn't know that in the beginning. I just tried. I just tried something. And just trying, now you're just borrowing a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of resources. And you're just trying. And you're trying multiple things. But what does that lead to? Well, it leads to a really interesting life. It leads to a life of curiosity, a life of adventure, a life of trying different things. And only doubling down on things when you see that they're working. And that leads you to a path of success. That leads you to a path of knowing what you want. Because remember the book I recommended? Remember A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? Stop searching for meaning and start doing and meaning will come to you. So just try it. We'll get you doing, which will get you down a path of actually impacting you know, your surroundings, which will give you meaning and will make you happy. And that's the path. That was the path for me at least. And uh, so just try it mentality instead of a just do it mentality because just doing assumes you know what you want. That's a, a good, good piece of advice. Just going back to you uh, for a moment, uh, in terms of transformational points, I mean, you've been talking about that a little bit, but are there any other transformational points in your life that have influenced you a lot that you would like to highlight? There's five of them. And I think the first one is, is growing up on a tropical island. And we mentioned my oldest memories, you know, from the, my birthday, the only one I celebrated, the furthest one I can remember, and the only one I really celebrated, and that incidence, you know, my oldest memory with my parents. That was really transformational for me. And that's maybe the reason why I'm a speaker now, because I didn't have a voice back then. I was completely muted. Like, what can I say as a four-year-old with, with his dad trying to stab his mum and kill each other? Like, you're completely in fear. You've got no voice at all. And that's maybe why I'm speaking now. I don't know. That could be my origin story. I don't know. I'm still working on it. The second one is creating a family. And, and I have three kids. And that's been really transformational for me. I mean, when you have kids, that is the biggest life lesson of all. I mean, they are, if you can speak effectively to children, then you can speak effectively to adults. <laughs> <laughs> and, and most people can't speak effectively to children, so they'll never get to the adult stage. But so learn how to speak and communicate with your kids. And that's going to give you everything you need to be a speaker. 
and then in the process, retiring at 37, one of my businesses did really well. I made many millions and was able to retire and spend it all and give it all away. And, and then just took basically five years off in France and bought a mansion, big swimming pool. That was really transformational at 37, only three years after I finished my PhD. I finished my PhD at 33. I did three years, maybe four years of entrepreneurship. And then at 37, I could retire. The third one was meeting Eric Edmonds. That was really transformational for me. I mean, I had no idea who this guy was. Like, I literally, I got an agent first before I went to the Speaking Academy. First agent, then training, then applying, or then quitting my job and then applying. It's in my book. I'm writing a book about this. It'll be out later this year. And uh, I didn't know who this guy was. Like, I had no idea. And actually, you know, his salesperson, Ryan, you know Ryan, you know, he sold me into the academy and lucky he did. He took the last 5,000 euros I had because I had no money at the time. I said yes on Friday. I booked on Saturday. I flew out on the Sunday and I started the academy on the Monday. And that was the 25th of June, 2018, last year. And I said, if Eric's as good as what everybody says he is, then I better give him every single bit of attention and every my full presence. And that's what I did. I came in, I was a sponge. I let everything go. Everything in life is a lie until you choose to believe it. I chose to believe nothing. I came in a complete sponge and I'd stoked everything up that he said. That was really transformational for me. The fourth one is becoming a speaker. That was like, you're still the same person inside, but on the outside, you start to to act differently. Like it's a place of leadership. It's a place of of accountability, of responsibility. It's like it really teaches you to step up and be the best version of yourself. And that's the most beautiful thing you can offer the world is just to be the best version of you, whatever that may be. Exactly. And, and exactly to the, to, at the service of, of, of others, which is the most important thing. Exactly. So. Yeah. And the fifth one is, is actually giving my dad's eulogy and watching him take his last breath. My dad, like he died only last November. Going back to the, the world of, let's say, business, is there like one uh, long-term uh, solution for business that you believe in? Like one, you could say, common denominator for all companies and organizations out there? So I mentioned it earlier. I think at the core of everything, what we connect with as human beings is stories. It goes back to the beginning around the campfire and even before that, before fire was invented. It's stories we connect with. A life is a story and it's a bunch of stories and people want to hear about these stories. And it's the same for organizations. You know, the organization without a story is the organization everybody forgets, forgets to buy from, forgets to consume from. It's the company that goes out of business because they just cannot implant themselves in people's minds. Because if you know anything about memory, it's feelings give rise to emotions and it's emotions that makes memory stick. People don't remember what you say. They won't even remember what you do. People remember how you made them feel. And in order to make someone feel, you need to feel that way. You know, emotions are generated from feelings and, and you need to apply, it's like it's through stories that we feel because we can relate and we can connect. So an organization needs a story. And it's through stories that we inspire change in others. And so to be remembered, either when you're around so that people buy from you instead of the other guy, or people remember you afterwards, or remember your legacy, or maybe you've left that organization, but you still remember them because they inspired you through their stories. So having a story, I think, is at the key to a sustainable, well, actually a successful company like Apple. I mean, how rich is Apple's story? You know, Amazon, incredible stories if you, if you look into it. Amazon still needs to work on their story, by the way, but Apple has a really strong one. But then it goes further than that. I think that for organizations, you know, there's one thing, Vishen Lakhiani said this once on, on one of his um, posts and on Instagram, you know, happiness is acquired by the acquisition of things, relationships, resources, general stuff, money, makes you happy in the moment. Right, because you you know money, you can go on holidays, relationships, you find love, stuff, you know, like cars and houses, and just your iPhone sometimes makes you happy because you can connect with it. But fulfillment is found by giving back, and so to build real lasting impact, 
you need to have a giving mentality. Any large organizations that wants to be remembered so people consume from them, but even remembered way past their time, needs to have a giving mentality and needs to create fulfillment with other people. And that's done by giving back. It's a gift towards future generations. And that's what everybody admires. I mean, you know, if you've read uh, Richard Dawkins' The Selfish Gene, it's all about carrying our gene pool forward. And we're all vested into this. That's why we have children. We have to carry the species forward. And so having a, a giving mentality is more about fulfillment. It's giving back. And, and if you do that, then, then people will work for you for free even. And consumers will buy for you, even if you have an increased price. doesn't matter. You could be more expensive than all the rest, but they believe in you and your story and the impact you want to have even after you're gone because your mission is much bigger than your organization. And I think those two things, having a story and having a giving mentality and really um, driving fulfillment in, in your employees, your partners, your customers, and, and any stakeholder, feeling that this is the company I want to see succeed for the rest of my life. And I'll be really, really disappointed if, if something happens whereby they need to go out of business. And, and this is, I think, is a very, very good piece of advice to leaders, you know, however we would define those, is exactly this. Is there any specific thing, like the most important thing for companies to focus on right, right now? It depends what your goals are. I don't think I can generalize a question like that. I think for every organization, every company, you need to figuring out what's your mission, what impact are you out to make in this world? and working your way backwards. What's your blueprint? How are you going to get this done? And that only that is going to actually give rise to, okay, what actions do I need to take to make that happen? And it's different for every organization. But at the core is having a story. At the core, it's understanding who you are. It's understanding your why. Going back to Simon Sinek, it's understanding why should you exist? Why should your employees get out of bed in the morning? Why should you get out of bed in the morning and, and service this organization? It's really about understanding at the core why you exist and why should anybody care? Chris, um, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks for sharing everything. I'm really, and you've been sharing so much also very personal uh, intriguing things, and I'm uh, really honored and, and um, grateful for that. I definitely think that we have to do another podcast very soon so that you can tell us more about the upcoming book and other stuff that, that I know is upcoming that you can't talk about right now that are very exciting. Uh, so we'll definitely, definitely do that. Uh, and, and by the way, how, how was it to be on the podcast? Vesna, you know, you're amazing. The work you're doing with this podcast, I think it's just amazing work and you just got to keep going, keep doing it because um, it's going to gain momentum and people are going to listen. And some of the people you've interviewed on this podcast, you know, Simon Sinek, Seth Godin, I mean, these are my heroes. These are heroes for many people, many people within organizations. And I think you just got to keep doing this work. And I feel really, 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 really honored to be on your podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much, Chris. For people to find out more, um, where should they head? Because I know you have several channels and websites. One of the things I launched recently was 10xspeaker.com. Uh, it's a movement to awake the speaker in you and one million people on this planet uh, for free. At least spark that speaker in you and, and get, you, get you up on the stage, get you, get you communicating, ha giving you a voice, you know, helping you share your stories. Um, so 10xspeaker.com is where you can sign up for free and basically you come onto the email list and that's how I'm going to communicate uh, when the next training sessions are. I give full-day speaker trainings uh, for free and then you'll get the news also on the next big things that are coming, the things that me and Eric Admeet are doing and launching basically a new brand called Speaker Nation. I can say it, it hasn't been really launched yet that we haven't communicated much, but I can say Speaker Nation and basically I've built I built 10X Speaker as a prototype to Speaker Nation to get Eric's attention. You know, be careful what you teach sometimes. Like he told me to be so good, they don't ignore you. Well, in my head, that was be so good, Eric doesn't ignore me. And how to get someone's attention, well, show, don't tell. You know, so I built a prototype of Speaker Nation. I showed him what could be done quickly. And now I get to build Speaker Nation with him. Um, so you can go to 10xspeaker.com, sign up. 
And the other thing is I, I'm starting to be Googleable now. So if you Google me, I should be, um, I think my TED Talk is number one on YouTube for Chris Baldwin. And if you put me in Google Chris Baldwin, you'll see all the assets. There's chrisbaldwin.nl where you can find everything there. Okay, and I'll, I'll make sure also to, to put in all the links and, uh, uh, and stuff. So remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and also rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. And of course, share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing it. Thanks for listening, and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Ciao, Chris. Bye, Vesna. Thank you. Thank you.